swearing off. I guess we never really did discuss whether or not we were going to swear on this or what we were going to do. But I think it should just go wherever it leads us because it could it could get fairly explicit, I suppose. But and then we might have a drinking podcast, so why yes. not set the tone early on that it, it's possible? And guests, probably not in this room, probably no. not with this really crappy backdrop setup with tons of shadows. But yeah, right. So welcome. Welcome to the unnamed podcast. This is very nostalgic. This sounds exactly like doing that old radio show, except I have a partner that is good with all his mental faculties. That's a story. (laughs) Before we get into that, was it this radio studio like, well, did it have like sound dampened walls and it wasn't like a nice enclosed area? It was a closet. I mean, Ah. it was, they called it the shark tank. Okay. Because this was at Niagara College, so it was a. It wasn't near the broadcasting wing. It was near the, near the lunch hall, and all it was was this little offshoot room with all glass windows. So when you were recording in it, you felt like you were in a Shark Tank. Like people would stare in. When you're trying to have a really good conversation or review a movie, and you have somebody just eating you alive with their eyes. Yeah, so. A little odd. You just got to lock eyes with the person outside the room and just stare them down. Our show was nice because it was at like uh, 7 o'clock at night. So everybody had gone home. Okay. We, we had it all private. But the occasional times, it was weird. After By, by the time we did uh, the third season, people were cameo- cameoing on our show. We were doing guest spots on other shows. It was a weird kind of incestuous year just of radio. Just a mismatch of everybody that's yeah. in the vicinity. I was, on, I was on a vinyl radio show. Like, I at that point, I knew nothing about vinyl. We were listening to Rush. I'm like, nice. it sounds good. Good choice. I, it, 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 it sounds good. I can't speak. What do they talk about specifically on vinyl radio? Just the attributes of a vinyl recording as opposed to They would to listen digital? to vinyl. They, they, they paid for their own plug-in so they could tap in their record player to the soundboard it did sound better i will admit but they just said do you want to be on it i'm like i don't have class for an hour let's do it i'm totally unqualified i didn't even own anything back then and i did it and it was fun and then kevin went on mentioning hi shout out mentioning names i think he went on a girl talk show i don't know what they were talking about but i remember him doing a guest why is it called a, something a girl talk show I, I don't know what it was called i can't remember but it was hosted by women and i think he went on but i feel like my i don't know just don't quote be, me on that one be a bit of an outcast in that situation he was an outcast in every situation so <laughs> seems appropriate yeah so no that's that's my radio experience i didn't do well in radio i was never destined to be a radio person what was the destiny of the person that was a bit short on their mental faculties <laughs> we want to go back to that he wanted to work in television production and now he works for canada post i think natural progression canada post he does wedding videos on the side as well okay just trying to grow that was um, he in the same program as same he? program as me you couldn't have a radio show unless you were in the program. You got an extra 7% if you had a radio show. So there was actual value. You got a 7% in radio, 
So there was an actual value to it for the first two years that we did it. And when I dropped radio, because I went purely film, I did the final year just as fun. So I'm kind of curious, seeing as he went to do a little bit of wedding videography on the side, how many people do you think graduated from something in film ended up going that route or just did nothing with it? Because I would imagine the amount of people who did nothing with it is probably the greatest majority. It's funny. I thought this is what this conversation would end up being. Yeah. I thought about talking about something similar like this. I feel like I'm being interviewed and not. Pretty um, much. Yeah. <laughs> so right off the bat, like a lot of college programs, when we started, yeah. they had said there's going to be a giant drop off of everybody. And there was by the end of the three years there was only 20 of us film people and probably 20 it was probably a nice split between 20 20 20 so tv radio film Hmm. maybe a little bit more so at that point you lost like about half like people just dropped out or changed programs which is it's kind of interesting just because i have no context whatsoever on how many people dropped out when i was doing my biology degree itself I, I saw a lot of people that left, people that just would stop showing up, or people that decided they needed to do something else. But, but was your was university more, like, I don't know how to word this, is it more you show up to A class, B class, C class to get your, to get what you need, whereas for college it was everybody's taking the same courses because it's, I don't know. I, I guess you, you would probably follow through with more people. Like you, I guess you're sort of. And we were in a course where you work way. with people every day doing production stuff. So yeah, you notice when they disappear. There was a lot of variety in the things that I could pick. And in first year, you, you meet a lot of people. But pretty much after first year, you may never see them again, even if they stay within the confines of your program, just because there's so many options. And yeah, there's there's credits here and there that everybody has to take. But sometimes they run two of the same course in a semester. Just because there's so many people that's take that are taking that specific course, but uh, but yeah, you can go in a lot of different directions with it. Okay, so ours we you noticed when people dropped out. My roommate dropped out, so so he was there for a month and a half. Uh, yeah, that's about the same. There was a guy of the name Mike. I can't remember the last time I saw him. I think we were going into a calculus exam, and then after that. I heard from another roommate that he had decided to drop all of his courses and, and move out of uh, away from the university campus. Eh. It, it's weird when it's close to home because it's like, well, there's one, I guess. Am I, am I next? Are you? I got a two-bedroom residence room for three months for the price of one, so it was okay. I moved a lot of my stuff into this guy's room. and That is the bonus with residence is you pay it all up front. So you kind of... You're, you're stuck there. It doesn't matter how many people actually stick around. And then I got a roommate who was suicidal, so it was problematic. I have a colored past with roommates and stuff like that. Um, back to the major question. I would say out of everybody who went for TV and film, there's a good majority of us that aren't doing exactly what we hoped i'm pretty sure the first day of film school everybody in the, with the film mind was thinking they were going to be the next spielberg and it doesn't work like that no, no. and i was guilty of that too harsh reality no it's it's not like that it's a slow build up you've learned skills along the way 
somewhat, I would think why the, the wedding market is kind of conducive to people who have a film background is just because it, it's sort of a little bit more straightforward as a business person's perspective where you would go with it. Like if, if you wanted to direct movies, how from a business person's point of view would you get into that? At least with wedding company, you, you start your own, you know, maybe you have a website or you have some some footage that you've got to put in your portfolio and you just build up from there. I would think that uh, it, it tends much more to the bu business owner personality to go with uh, this kind of route. I've been looking into film financing and I think going the wedding route is nice because at least you have small productions under your belt. Mm -hmm. So you have a music video, you have some short films and stuff like that. And then when you go to people saying, hey, we've done this, we're trying to fund our first feature film, you have some sort of credibility. You could go the uh, short film production company route and just do short films, but there's no money in short films. So you're, you're having family or you're throwing out your own money and not getting a return until you direct something that goes to TIFF or goes to, like, actually does something so there's a variety of different ways you could do it i see that there's there is actually a lot of funding out there thankfully if you're doing like a canadian content yeah. film but you have to be lucky i'm i'm kind of curious and this is a little bit related to a topic i want to talk about is there many cases of like a startup film company something with a, a brand you know something you see as a title screen as the as the movie starts or whatever being bought by a really big company, like I, I guess Hallmark would be one that does a lot of productions, but is there a novel case you could think of like that where a startup is bought out and their their crew just sort of grows rapidly? I'm sure there is. Most production companies stay as independent companies. You, you'll probably get companies that merge and stuff like that, but there's not a lot of new sources for stuff like that but the way that it works at least the way that i understand that it works is it's not like disney normally you have you have the case with lucasfilm and stuff like that marvel where they'll buy them out but they still operate under their own entity mm -hmm. so yes disney owns marvel but marvel's still marvel they just add on an extra 30 seconds to their credits to show the disney logo like that's that's basically it for small companies to merge yeah it's possible it probably happens more than i would think but i don't i don't know why they're quite large scale cases in those in those examples what sort of got me thinking about it is i i don't know how much you followed up on it but the whole splitting of beam casey neistat from cnn's been something that's big in the news at the moment and it just gets you thinking, like, they, they say pretty much all these startups that get bought out, it, almost all of them tend to fail quite quickly. And it just, you never, you can't scale it up the way that you would just a, a company, the way that a single company grows over time. It's kind of hard. I to had an article that was similar to yeah. that, too. And at least yours was printed, so you can read it. <laughs> so I only made small little notes. Um, one, one thing that, and my article was actually more GoPro related. Okay. I'm kind of excited. We're filming this part of it. We're filming it on a GoPro. Uh, from January 8th, it's a little bit old, uh, but they're, they're having troubles. They are interested in selling themselves. Are there any potential buyers mentioned? Nobody has mentioned it, but they hired JP Morgan to help it with the process of selling. JP Morgan has said that the main problem is, is that the cameras aren't improving fast enough. Uh, as of January 23rd, uh, shares of GoPro fell 
as much as 7%. Uh, the stock price is down to $5 from $9.50. So it's... it's uh, Noticeable decrease. It's, it's, a, it's a problem. Now, as, as far as the technology changing, there's kind of an interesting point to make in that they kind of tried that because, sure, action cameras have had a very similar purpose for a long time. And you just get, you know, maybe higher resolution, different frame rate options, or little things here and there that they can throw in. The, the new GoPro lets you do a lot of voice activation stuff, which is good for hands-free operation. But they went made a little foray into growing, I guess, their what their business does with the Karma drone. And that that failed. failed. That failed like really quickly. Yeah. Uh, that failed a little while ago. They tried to rebrand themselves, and it worked slightly. Uh, stock went up. They called themselves a media company. They hired on somebody. Again, I suppose we should be better at citing sources, but I know they hired on somebody from an actual media company, and they tried to go in the direction of media creation but the problem is is they were never a media company they were a company that supplied products for people to go out and make media which is an interesting case where i don't know how much money is involved in these kind of things but there's sort of gopros promoters you, you think of like canon and nikon have ambassadors and things like that people there's certain people that take the gopro brand and they become sort of the face of the company as far as the images go like i they have an app or something like that, I guess, that promotes things to sort of like a front page. I remember they're back on the Fronos photo podcast, the one they show uh, a person who took a photo of, I think it was a shark or something, coming out of the water. And it's just this really crazy photo. And it sort of, this person blew up because it got elevated to the front page of this GoPro image aggregating source. And that person sort of got a sponsorship deal out of it. And they got, it, it was an interesting, I guess, transition of events. I don't really know how all that took place. But it is a way for GoPro to promote themselves through media. That's true. Not a production in and of themselves, but... The... When you read a bunch of articles about it, a lot of people say that the problem really started. Because GoPro, when you read about their history, I don't know if you knew this, their first camera was a film camera. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. So their first tiny... GoPro's been around since the early 2000s. And their first kind of action camera was a film camera. It was it just, just like an pictures. eight millimeter? I, I, I didn't research. I was kind of on a time crunch, but I was doing research and their first one. So it, it, no video. just No video. video. Okay. Just, so, just a small film camera. Well, that's not that's not as hard to do as something that would shoot video on film. Of but to think how far they've, came, they've come, the, the whole idea for GoPro, apparently the CEO and founder, Nick Woodman, as I have his name there, okay. was surfing in Australia, and he was getting annoyed that he couldn't get good photos of himself surfing, and he was looking around, and there were professional shooters out uh, taking photos of surfers with their huge DSLRs. I guess at that big point, it could just be SLRs with yeah. the big waterproof housings, and he thought there has to be a better way. So it came from that. It is weird to think that the first one, especially looking at... Now, that right there the first one was film was it just a, a prototype like was this actually sold what the the film gopro as far as i know it was really but again probably should have done more research on it they they quickly went digital and it seems all their problems started when they went public when did they go public as a company they went public probably around in 2003 
14. Okay. Right around That's the like GoPro Hero 3. Hero 3, okay. And the problem with going public is you have a lot more money. A lot more people pulling you in different directions. A lot more people saying, we want, we want progress. Yeah. We want to say that you mark, you know, like we want to see you mark uh, a profit. We want to see you make a profit. And they did. And then they started making negative profit. Because everybody is, already owns a GoPro. <laughs> everybody already owns a GoPro, or they own the Chinese knockoffs, which are consistently getting better. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen quite good things out of those yeah. recently. And then they started buying up companies. One of, the, one of the good things that they did is they bought up some editing companies to fine-tune their GoPro editing software so that for the average user, at least you have this GoPro-centric editing software to be able to edit your stuff because i mean a long streaming action cam video sometimes isn't interesting but if you give somebody the power to edit it is a lot better but apparently they spent a huge chunk of money just buying up other companies which is fine but they didn't get anything out of it i'm assuming they bought up some sort of drone manufacturer because you wouldn't go from yeah. zero to a hundred without buying up somebody who knows no. their way around drones. The editing software one's a little bit interesting because I have, before I, I had a subscription to Premiere, I would use the GoPro editing app a little bit to, to put time lapses together and things like that. It's very simple. It's very easy to use. It works. GoPro it's Movie just, Maker. It's limited. Yeah, it's limited in its functions. Mm -hmm. it, it's probably less advanced than even Windows Movie Maker in, in some senses. I don't... Eh. But it's, it's a very streamlined experience anyways. It was streamlined, it was integrated, you bought a GoPro, you had access to the editing software, it didn't mm -hmm. matter if it was Mac or Windows. Mm -hmm. So, it, it worked, I've only used it a few times, and it was again for time-lapse stuff, but for the video I used a lens correction and I used Final Cut, so I never really... Uh... It, it's tough to push, because nobody without a GoPro is going to go out and get that software, I don't think there's... So that market's gone. And people with a GoPro might have a heavy interest in videoing, video editing, so they might go for the big, you know, the big Final Cut or go for Adobe. Do the new GoPros even have the fisheye bend, or can you? Just... Oh, I'm sure they do. It, it's a really small sensor, so you're going to be using a really sh small focal length lens, and because even if they do, it's like I when I they might correct in camera, maybe for whatever reason. I swear mine doesn't have an option to do that. Mine didn't. No. I was really impressed at how quickly and how perfectly Adobe Premiere did it to the clip that I was using. Granted, it wasn't GoPro. It was a DJI Phantom 2, but still similar fisheye look, and it, mm -hmm. it picked it up. And the, the presets are all there in Adobe Premiere for the Phantom 2, Phantom 3. Which is nice. There's, there's a little bit of troubleshooting on the internet you can go through because yeah there's just a slider that you can change if somebody says hey you could set you know these specific numbers to correct the footage and you can do it that way too but it's a bit slower uh i'm not sure if you could input your own preset too like if there wasn't one say for the probably could and you could just scroll through the menu and click it it'd be kind of convenient it would be a lens correction yeah i'm sure adobe premiere has it that's uh adobe okay speaking of adobe uh photoshop mm-hmm not to talk a lot about photography, but they just added their... Pardon? It's kind of what we do. It is what we do. They just added their, uh, like, artificial intelligence selection mode. 
where it can select like an auto edit uh, it's pretty good it'll from what i understand it's supposed to pick up people so if you okay. if you say like it's it, it, there's two new modes that i found one is a focus selection so if you're like if you want it to select what's in focus it'll use whatever algorithm they're using to tell you what's in focus and you can slide it whether you want the stuff that's in the background to be selected or in the foreground but then the actual like uh person select i tried it on a few wedding photos and you'd have to go in and brush it a little bit but it was pretty accurate i'm thinking the only instance where that would be really useful for the the focus select is if you want to do something with the out of focus elements as opposed to what's in focus which in theory, you could quickly black out a background or add a certain color to it if you're shooting in studio. That wouldn't be half bad, although it's not that hard to do that as it is. I liked the the actual, I know it's not called like person selection, but it's whatever it's called, it's not like it's just person for selection trademark. profile shots. Like they were brides who were looking sideways. They were brides like, I don't know if it was facial detection. I don't know if it just knows what a human body, like human shoulders look like. But it was pretty accurate all the way through. Again, a few changes here and there. But if you were going to take the time to, oh, it also did like uh, like shoulder holes if they're standing like this. So it went around. So if you were taking the time to have to crop somebody out, done that. Which you would think. You, what do you use to modify? Is it the pen tool? or Yeah, you yeah, just okay. quickly do it like that. And I think it'd be awesome if they did that for Adobe Premiere eventually too. They do it in one photo. They can do 30 frames a second. Take yeah. a little bit longer. But they already have rotoscoping. That's basically like an auto-rotoscope, and then you could fix it. That would be incredible. Mm -hmm. Pair that with raw video too? Mm-hmm. You'd, you'd have every bit as flexibility with your video as you would with a photograph at that point. <laughs> and you could also, at that, if you want to take it a little bit a step further, you could have a computer automatically edit video footage. Because computers can already do that easily with photos, and they can splice things together. I don't know if you use any of Google services. I don't know if Apple does anything a little bit different. But if I, if I took a video with my phone over the course of the day, let's just say I went to the zoo, and I have a couple videos of you know whatever's going on there, my phone will actually pop up something that you can oh, turn it off. Yeah. But in the pop-up, like, look, we did that. an auto-editor. It, at, at New Year's, it pushes it for me. It gives me my year in review. And that's at, that's my phone saying, do you want to watch? No, because mm -hmm. it's just a bunch of dead people. But yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's handy. They say that, I've, I mean, it makes sense. The computer algorithms for editing and whatnot, eventually you're going to get like computers doing the rough edits for major films and then having an editor come in and make the tweaks. I can see it happening, I, no I, problem. I can see somewhere where I'm just going to keep pushing this. So we, one thing that we've also seen in the past, and it blew your mind when, because, and you mentioned it to me, the 3D modeling software that now that you can use where you could take pictures of an object or of a space and you, you just take pictures from a certain amount of coverage from every angle, put them together, you get this 3D model that can be extremely accurate. It really, it's, some of the, the software is kind of clunky at the moment, but it's getting better. You could use that as a space, a physical, or I guess a digital space to move people around in and on a set. You could have this, this digital set. Imagine pairing, you have a space in a computer, a 3D space. Let's just say you, I don't know, you went crazy and you 3D mapped half a city. And you have 
some act, maybe you have some actors, something simple. They could, they, I guess they could be running through there, just acting out the movie as it goes. You could move the camera points after through this 3D space. You could have the computer auto edit, auto edit a lot of the stuff. Eventually, you could take the human element out of it. You could just have computers making movies yep. out of nowhere. I mean, it's it's a flip because say what you want about, say, a movie like 2012. Mm-hmm. Not a good movie. The effects, they're okay. The, the attention to detail in making Los Angeles or something like that, when you go and you watch the behind the scenes and they had to build the city and they built it within reason to how the buildings were built so then that way when they added the destruction algorithms or whatnot, the cement and the brick would crack the way that actual bricks would crack. Mm-hmm. So they spent all that time developing the technology and developing the set digitally the 3D mapping, minus the fact that you wouldn't know what's on the inside, 3D mapping, you're developing the set in a lot less time. No, we cut down significantly. There's there, there's sort of room as well for the... Just watch the next Grand Theft Auto. It's going to be worldwide. Just, just. I've been dreaming of that since I was probably like 14. I want them to do a Canadian <laughs> Grand Theft Auto. I keep making jokes about it. I think if a you... lot of the English people keep dreaming of a, a Grand Theft Auto in London because it wasn't the first one in London? Second one. The second one. Okay. I, or I think I could return there. either Grand Theft Auto... Like, there's two that would make sense to me. Las Vegas... They haven't really touched that, but like a nice mob run where prostitution is legal in some parts and whatnot. Flashy. Do it anyways. Yeah. Um, Or Canada. You don't have to pay when you leave the hospital, so that $5,000 limit is gone. (laughs) But guns are so much harder to come by. No, they're not actually. You'd have to do a a gun course in the game, of course, and you go to a a two-day course where you're sitting... In a classroom setting, and you, you do a little bit of paperwork. But then after that, there's no wait periods on any, any of your firearms. There's no... You, you would have to do a little, little bit more to get handguns and things like that. So you'd actually start the game off with high-powered rifles. Be an interesting twist. Given Canadian gun law, Canada's gun laws, it would be a very different game. It would be interesting, I think. And it'd be funny, because you'd walk into people on the street, instead of them being mad, they would say, Sorry, or excuse me, and whatnot, so. That's a lot less interesting than the very comical banter of the I know. NPCs in Grand Theft Auto. But it would be a flip. What happens if your car gets stuck in like a snowbank or something? And when you're running from the That's cops? another thing they've never done. They should do a place where it can snow. Yeah, It's not going to snow in Los Angeles. So Grand Theft Auto well, 5. Grand Theft Auto 5 did have snow in it. But it wasn't in Los Angeles. True. You only went back twice, and only one time could you really play through it. And that was at the beginning. That's true. It would be an entirely different element of physics. Can you think of a game that did snow physics really well? Would would people in the southern United States and elsewhere really appreciate our snow physics? Far Cry Four did snow okay. You're up in the 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 snowy mountains. It was. I mean, I didn't didn't really feel like I was freezing, but no. it looked nice. Um, it's easy to make it look nice. I mean, I can think of Elder Scrolls Skyrim. looks pretty nice. But I don't know. As far as snowy games go, I don't think there's a giant market for a Canadian snow game. But Although a lot of a lot of development studios for games 
do take root in Canada. I'm not sure if there's certain advantages to it business-wise. I don't know. It's cheaper to do certain things here than in the States or to get certain talent here as opposed to in the States. I think of a lot of uh, yeah, I think a lot of it might be talent. It's probably cheaper. Probably get a tax credit cuz you're bringing in you're bringing in business. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're an American business and you're selling the game in America, then you're still you're still probably paying your employees in Canadian, so that exchange rate alone would be beneficial. Save a little bit of money. As long as the dollar doesn't go high. Well, that's that's the risk, but which I don't, I don't think anybody foresees it going back up to on parity with the American dollar anytime soon. No. I wonder if American businesses do get tax breaks to come because I know that that's why Toronto was such a big film hub because they would give major tax credits to film productions to come closer. But that's like for a three-month length of time or two weeks or however long. So I don't know if businesses get a continuous tax break. I wouldn't... Maybe they do, but I don't know if they would. That seems a bit. Wouldn't. Yeah, I'm not a, not sure how that would work at all. I wonder if it maybe is more lax in Toronto as a film hub. We could transition a little bit to drone topics. Flying a drone pretty much anywhere in an urban area is very difficult in Canada and the U.S. From what I understand now, Casey Neistat's taking a step back from constantly filming stuff in the city. I don't know if you saw the joke of the one where he, in a recent vlog, he took his his drone all the way to South Africa. It was just a funny skit, anyways. Because he's like, ah, this is too, you know, dense here. Let me just throw up my backpack and we'll go somewhere else. Just gets on the plane. No, I didn't see that. <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, no, I mean, I was looking at the website today, and if you're if you're doing it just for fun and you are following the rules that way i guess it's not bad but once you start saying you're going to make money for it then you really have to be be good with your rules and insurance and everything it is kind of confusing because a, a lot of times when you i have an app that shows me what you know different airspaces are designated for and a lot of times it'll say you know you can call these numbers for permission but it's kind of not that important there's certain areas where it's outright banned I, there's none in our area and It'd be certain... over an airport. You can't fly. No, no. Well, I would assume so. You wouldn't be able to fly. I would not be able to fly my drone onto the Toronto Pearson. No, absolutely not. But but for the most part, there's nowhere in this vicinity that you can absolutely not fly. There are some gray areas. You need to call the FAA and get permission to shoot over Niagara Falls, which... We're Niagara-based, by yeah. the way. Just I, I could literally fly on my drone from where I'm currently living over the falls and back. You could. If, if it were legal to you do You could so. also lose the drone, too. Into Niagara Falls. Well, if I'm going to lose it somewhere, I might as well lose it to the falls. Don't lose it. No. No. <laughs> Hit somebody on the Maid of the Mist, maybe. Well, you wouldn't do that now. I don't know if it's running. I don't think it is right now. In the winter? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. I swear they, they pushed it pretty there late. There wouldn't really be mist. At least a few yeah. weeks ago, the falls were still frozen, so it'd be made of the ice. <laughs> That's not as tempting. It's not an ice Have breaker. you ever done that? No. Me either. I I don't want to. I'd feel like a, a bit of a tourist for a day, maybe. You don't... Eh, it wouldn't be that interesting. I've walked down to the falls. I've been hit in the face with the mist. I don't need any more. There's tours that go behind it. I guess that it's would like a be cavern neat, system. Perhaps. Those, that, those are pretty decent. It's a lot of stairs, but it's kind of fun. But I don't want to go... 
on the Maid of the Mist. And I, I don't need to. The entire premise of Canadian Niagara Falls is this is like a, a shitty version of Las Vegas in Canada. It's every tourist trap you can think of, casinos, tons and tons of souvenir shops, a Ferris wheel. I like. I was just gonna say, I like the Ferris wheel. I'm, it's 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 a it is a nice way to see the falls like at night. I saw pictures of you guys on the Ferris wheel, yeah. so it's a good way to see the falls at night. I don't. Well, it's mostly just a good way to notice that every part of the golf course just looks like each hole looks like it's in the shape of a dick, because there's there's at least like four or five dick shaped parts of the golf course down there. I'm gonna have to take a look. <laughs> I took some pictures, or with. Niagara, now they have a go-kart attraction at the top. That's still in progress, isn't it? They're still building it? It looks so fun. They haven't changed, like, they haven't changed anything. I think the soft launch is in April for Niagara, not necessarily for Niagara residents, but it's not officially open yet, and then they'll do it for the summer. But when you look at it, I don't know if the carts are, like, very low to the ground because you it's it looks like mario kart that's kind it of does. what it's been it's been advertised as but you obviously can't get that much air there's some steady it, it looks like if you got some decent speed you would which is what i'm wondering if i'll say that would be they're not going that fast i wonder how fast you're able to go some i've been to a couple different maybe the carts are magnetized you could do it like those uh like those old toys you would get as kids where you put the car on the track and and it goes it's just magnetized onto the track yeah no i don't think they have that much technology (laughs) unfortunately it's a mixed bag when you go to go-karting places because i've been to some that for the most part they all look the same sometimes like hills or like a bridge or something but they're generally pretty slow there's a couple places you can go that you can get up to i bet you that they're going to be fairly slow
No, I think that it's going to be a slowed down cart because I, I, when you're walking in between the Tim Hortons and the bowling alley towards it mm-hmm. and you look at it, there's one major slope and I'm pretty sure they kind of put it there because it's supposed to look enticing, but I can't imagine them going too fast off because otherwise you're just going to get major air and fly out of the place. So I don't know how they're going to do it. <laughs> That'd be pretty extreme. <laughs> Great for lawsuits, but yeah. not good for, like, I think it's going to be slow. I could be wrong. I, as long as, it's, I mean, I can't imagine it costing more than like 30, 40 bucks to do a whole lot of laps there. I'd love to go try it out when they open it up. That's another thing. Do you think it'll be 30 or 40 bucks for a whole lot of laps or do you think probably. it'll be... It doesn't look like a terribly big circuit, so you'd think you'd probably get 10 or 12 laps for that kind of price. I don't know. It... I don't know. You don't think so? I don't know. Maybe a douchebag for a second. Do you know what this is called, just to no, make it easier to search but, for? Uh, you know what? Niagara Goat Carts. I think that would... Um, you I, think that they'd have a website before they even launched their business? Niagara Speedway. Speedway. Niagara Speedway Goat Carts. Coming spring 2018. Oh, they will be included in the Clifton Hill Fun Pass. This is not brought to you by the Clifton Hill Fun Pass. Which is not even... Well, it It's a on good much, value. It depends on how much you're going to do. I like going and playing mini golf and going to the Wax Museum and going to the Arcade for Five Tokens and then going on the, on the Ferris wheel twice. It gets you on the Ferris wheel twice? Yes, it does. If you buy online, you get a free one, hmm. a free extra. So fun facts on the structure... There's 6,500 bolts. It's not that fun. That's, that not means that nothing. How many uh, bolts is a roller coaster? 425,920 pounds of steel. It sounds like an engineer or somebody just Decided they contacted to write him the to market. PR. Yeah. Like, uh, can we get the engineer to do the marketing, please? 1,375 welded assemblies. No. If I go there with an arc welder and weld on a piece of steel, do I make their number incorrect? Yes. To sum it up in a few words, it's like go-karts on steroids. Test your driving skills along the straightaway. Negotiate the hair. Pin. Negotiate the hairpin turns. (laughs) Climb the elevated ramp as you head for the checkered flag. Doesn't get the prices. I can't imagine it would be absurdly priced. The press release actually has the the um, the facts I just told you about the track length is eighteen hundred feet. That's oh. not bad. The go kart manufacturer is the J and J F twenty two doubles includes a nine horsepower Honda engine. It's difficult and pretty to put that in perspective, but. I, I'm thinking of motorcycle terms because it's going to weigh less than a motorcycle. That's probably pretty zippy. Does it say how many the engine displacement? Like 50 cc's or 100? No? Hmm. Not at all. Yeah. There's I mean, only one way to find out. I'd be surprised if they even disclosed that information later anyways. It, was... it exists. Yeah. Test drive. They got a little virtual tour. 
<laughs> Your face is amazing. Well, because it's ob. You wouldn't think that they would have a. What are they doing? They put a this GoPro. This doesn't look like an actual go kart. Unless they have like a gimbal that's like near the floor. Maybe I don't know. Why do they pick like sunset to do this? It's so dark. This is not a good representation of it, I don't think. Especially since none of anybody who's watching this can see it, unless we are kind enough to splice it in. Although I don't think we're that kind, so. You know what? Go to cliftonhill.com. Uh, learn about the, uh, the Niagara Speedway, North America's largest elevated go-tart. <laughs> North America's largest elevated go-kart track facility. It's even like go-karts. Even if you're never going to come to Niagara Falls, just do it. On steroids. Just research it. That's a really strange thing to say. Yep. To put drugs in your yeah. advertisement for what is definitely going to be a family-friendly sort of attraction. It's like go-karts on meth. <laughs> this message not brought to you by the city of Niagara Falls. The, the opinions and views displayed in that advertisement are solely not of the people paying for it. Yeah. Do we need a disclaimer on this podcast to say that the views that we are expressing during this podcast are not necessarily our own or that they represent us? I think that it's weird that they said steroids. I think that it's weird that their fun facts are all about the bolts and the welding. That's Those are my that's views. That's all that they got, really. Nobody's... That's Nobody cares. Nobody's cares. It's a cart. It's a cart. You gotta go around. Um, here, I've got... I think this is neat. Okay. Uh, the nine... I'm gonna give you nine gadgets from CES this year. Now, they are weird gadgets. Okay. I'm gonna give you the name, and I'm gonna give you a run-through of what the gadget does, and then let me know if you think it's stupid or good, and then we can talk about it a little bit. I like this because now it's a bit like you're interviewing me. You <laughs> I do have a few other questions, but this this one I wanted to do. An augmented reality toothbrush. The magic toothbrushes. The magic toothbrush uses augmented reality to turn brushing your teeth into a game. To play, a child would either hold a smartphone out in front of his or her face or mount in, it on the in front mirror. Of his face, mounted on the mirror. The toothbrush essentially acts as a game controller. Children okay. defeat monsters within the game by brushing by them away in real just, life. Just the toothbrush also detects movement and speed with the goal of ensuring that kids are actually brushing their teeth rather than simply moving the brush around to win the game. So, so they need their mouth open and they need to... Yeah. Uh, okay. The idea? To get kids bad, to, to brush their teeth. But It's a good wholesome idea. Um, I would wonder how... Um, how specific the the movement detection on the toothbrush actually being in the kid's mouth would be. Hopefully it's come a long way since the Wii where I've got a bowl sitting on the couch. Are people actually interested in this? Like, does anybody even care that this is... I don't know. I mean, I didn't like brushing my teeth when I was a kid. Now I know it's important. I do it less now, that's for sure. I do it less now because I don't have to. I'll do it once a day. You know, you're supposed to do it twice a day, but... Um, 
I don't know. Maybe kids do need it. Maybe parents are just bad at parenting and can't maybe. get their kids to brush their teeth. But, I mean, I guess it's interesting. I'm not going to buy it. If I buy anything VR, it's not going to be that. That's for sure. It's AR, not VR. Oh, it's augment. Okay. Augment's real. Yeah. I guess it'd be nice to see the toothbrushes in front of your face as opposed to putting on a, a full headset. Yeah. yeah. So it's like selfie mode. You're brushing your teeth, and I guess you can hit the monsters while brushing the teeth or whatever. <laughs> this one, this next one. I feel like I've seen it before, but this is from time.com, so you would assume that they're a credible source. Maybe maybe it's just their first maybe time just, at CES. Maybe it's just fake news. Maybe. A self-driving suitcase that follows you around. That actually has a function. I, I like the idea of that. Uh, robotics company Forward X, not SpaceX, Forward X, for some reason, wants to make sure you never lose your luggage again by letting it follow around you and you have no control over somebody it, grabbing it. It's not a, a good way to advertise it, no. The company showcased a robotic suitcase called the CX-1 that uses a 170-degree wide-angle camera and laser detectors to avoid obstacles. It even has a four-wheel drive so it doesn't lose its balance when driving uphill or across unusual They're terrain. marketing this thing like a, a Honda SUV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it even sounds... CX-1. Like the Honda CX-1. Yeah. Should anything go wrong, the suitcase includes a built-in alarm system that communicates with a wristband to allow owners when they're too far away from the CX-1 or if its battery is running low. So right off the bat, anybody who owns any type of smartwatch now has to have another wristband. Mm -hmm. It should be implemented with smartwatches or cellular devices. Most of your cell phone, I would think. You would think. But I wouldn't want it because somebody could just grab it. That too. And I, I suppose unless you have some kind of disability, you have arms and you can it's true. pull it right I, I think around. I think luggage was at its peak efficiency when, they, when it got wheels on the they, bottom. Yeah, Four wheels. Vended the wheel. Done. Yeah. <laughs> this one I like. Don't like the price. A giant robot that folds your laundry. Is it good at folding the laundry? Do they have a demo? The demo I saw, the, the photo, I didn't print out the photo, it was just as big as a, from the looks of it at least, it looked just as big as a washing machine and a dryer combo. That's huge. That is huge. That's so much space. So I guess it depends on how much laundry you have to fold. But Let, uh, how, how would you... Pre- this thing to fold laundry you just dump it in loosely into some kind of some part mm-hmm. of it because that if you have to like lay it out flat for the that, thing, that defeats the purpose defeats but if you do actually just take all your i don't know how it would work maybe if you take all your pants and put them in and then your shirts but i would think if you just took laundry out of the dryer and put it in unless it's really smart maybe i should read the article well, we have it written in front of us. To use the machine, owners feed an article of clothing into the... To- oh, so... Oh, this isn't good. No? To use the machine, owners feed an article of clothing into the top of the machine by securing it to two attached clips. The foldamate then takes in the clothing, folds it, and deposits it into a bin near the rear of the machine. So you do have to manually... So this, years ago, this was a theory that some scientists had that all this technology really isn't helping us save time. No. You still spend a 
you still spend a ton of money or spun a ton of time doing laundry now, mm-hmm. even though you're not necessarily right in front of it. This isn't accomplishing anything, and it's a thousand dollars. And if I'm folding laundry, it's prime time for listening to podcasts. Yes. So, um, so, so it taking longer is not necessarily a bad thing. These ones are odd ones. I should, as I mentioned before, a a roving mo, uh, a roving robotic movie projector. Why do you want your movie projector to move? Well, the the start of this ad is who wouldn't want a household robot that can play movies for you and keep an eye on your belongings when you're not home? That's it, the idea of Keeker, the voice enabled robot that can project a seventy eight a seventy eight inch image on your wall. Okay. It uses a depth-sensing camera to navigate around your home, and owners can see the home through Keeker's point of view when they're away using the companion mobile app. The Okay, so here's, here's the problem I see with this specific robot. It's $1,700, yeah. by the way. And for that price, you could buy cameras to secure your house like a normal person that would be tied into some kind of security network that could alert the police to you come to your house. You could buy a hell of a 78-inch TV for that, that too. price, too. And if, if you would like to watch a movie, a projected movie, you probably have a place you would want to do it, a place where you might put a projector. You probably wouldn't be in your kitchen and decide, hey, I would like to project a movie onto, onto half my of my dishwasher. fridge and half of my cabinet and, you know. But that. it's depth sensing. It probably knows it can't do that. Uh, well, the company it says it works with apps like Netflix, Spotify, and YouTube. Well, thank goodness. Yeah, I know. Because uh, if it didn't, what would you be projecting? A cat toy with artificial intelligence. Okay, I like where this is going. If, laser, if chasing a laser pointer or running after remote-controlled mice isn't enough for your cat, there's always Petronics. 149 artificially intelligent mouser cat toy the mouser can move in a way that attracts your cat and then react accordingly when the feline catches it so i guess dead or squirms and then just dies off uh, mouser will act the same way an actual mouse would be when hunted the company claims it'll be shipping in about a month I'm sure cats will love it. Everywhere. I'm sure. Sh- sh- I mean, it's the cheapest thing on the list so far. It's a bit of a symptom of an underlying problem of why do people have cats that they can't keep stimulated? And but I, I guess if you leave the house for an hour, probably would be an interesting toy to leave for it. Cats are supposed to be the animals that are self that are independent. So yeah, but they're also the totally wild animals that we keep in our houses for some reason. So that's true. The video I watched, and the cat was chasing the mouse around, and as it was running around, it looked like an actual animal, and it would pause, and then when the cat lunged, it would, so it was actually watching, like it was, it looked it's pretty cool, pretty cool, but, I don't know. Do they not like dogs? They didn't make a dog version of it? It'd be like a robotic tennis ball. I like dogs that play with the same kind of thing. Do you get seasick? No way. Well... I have one memory of being seasick. I took a trip to Florida with my family when I was a lot younger, and it probably was the combination of being in a really tight wetsuit that was wet, and it was really hot out, and it was a very uncomfortable thing to be in, and I was on a boat that was rocking very violently back and forth. Other than that, never, no. See, I have those dizzy spells, and this next thing I would not want. It's the smart bed that rocks you to sleep. The rocking bed does exactly what its name implies. Oh, God. It sways back and forth to help its occupants fall asleep. 
like having the spins, but not when you're drunk. He came up with the idea after finding that he was able to fall asleep much more easily while on a cruise ship. As such, he wanted to make a bed that mimicked the same swaying motion, which I guess I get. I do How? like cruising. So, you, you've noticed that very prominently on a cruise ship? No. Only no. when you're laying down. When really? you get on the ship, when the ship takes off, and I've been on smaller ships and I've been on larger ships, when the ship takes off, you can feel it moving a little bit. It's not like you're swaying back and forth. No. Even when it's really rough on the bigger ones, it's not like you're swaying back and forth. But you can just feel a, a subtle movement. Okay. And then being, like, somewhere where you might be able to see just, just like, small movement in the water, you're very spatially aware. The only time you really feel it is when it's quiet and you're laying down. And you do hmm. just feel it just slightly. But I never noticed it. It made me fall asleep quicker. I sleep well, but I always assumed it was that I was tired or drunk. But that's, I mean, that's just it. Okay, it's... For three thousand dollars, it's a lot of money for a bed. Uh, it will have a timer so that owners can set the rocking motion to stop once they fall asleep. Which, with I feel like you could probably achieve the same effect with a your own motor at home and a little crank that will move your bed back. I don't know. It doesn't sound like it's that hard to achieve, really. Or just go the really cheap way and just put friggin' ocean sounds on your ipod you're not getting them it's movement, not gonna rock you back and forth but you're getting the sounds it's true can you hear the sounds while you're sleeping in your room on a cruise ship i feel if like you, you wouldn't if you leave the window open or the door oh i guess if you have a window apart i've never been on a cruise ship so i don't they're know interesting um actually cruise ships are a technology all in their own they now have indoor ships like, I mean, indoor, like, indoor cabins with no views of the outside. Yeah. And they now have uh, ceiling-to-floor 4K monitors where the balcony would be showcasing... Just to simulate what it would look like. Showcasing live images of the outside. It looks neat, but it's not like you're getting actual vitamin C from the sun or anything no. like that. So, it, no. I don't know. I've seen a similar thing on planes, too, where, like, some of them will show you what the image looks yeah. like below or in front, which is kind of neat because windows on planes suck, and I, I do like to look out once in a while, although I tend to keep myself interested by staring at my phone with maps on, just like, hey, I'm over. You do. You did. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure I'll do it in the future if we take another plane trip together. Um, oh. A robot for collecting tennis balls. They're all very white people problems. <laughs> I would, I would Don't know how to brush my teeth. More like first world problems, but perhaps. Yeah, okay, first world. Don't know how to brush my teeth. Don't want to carry my luggage. Can't <laughs> fold my laundry. I want to watch a movie right here. Yeah. I don't want to play with my cat. I can't fall asleep, and I can't get the tennis balls. It's called the Tenabot. What does it forage for tennis balls if you send that out into a field or something the self-driving machine is essentially a Roomba for tennis balls okay it can hold up to 80 balls this is meant for a tennis court I'm assuming yes okay it's designed to work on both clay and hard courts users can use the tennis bot app to choose a location for the robot such as around the sides of the court or near the net okay okay uh, I'm not going to tell you what this is. I'm just going to read it because it starts basically saying like what I would say. Also, how do we feel about the, the tennis robot? 
If you're losing them in a tennis match, they're at one side of the court or the other side of the you court. Need two tennis bots then. One for one side, one. Or it's a Roomba. If you can program it to stay out of bounds, I feel like it would take around. longer for it to go find a tennis ball than for you to just look like over it takes and longer see for one. a Roomba to clean the house. Rather, then you can than be doing sweeping. other things at the same time. That's true. There's the benefit of that. Are you going to be playing tennis while this thing's going around and you might step on it, mm. break your neck? That'd be distracting. It would be. I'm ready for the next thing. While the concept may sound sound strange, Uvika. Because they probably can't use Eureka. Eureka's okay. robotic mannequin has the potential to be surprisingly useful. The mannequin is designed to adjust its size and bodily proportions so it can fit clothing made for any body type. It could be especially important considering the brands like Topshop have come under fire for the unrealistically skinny nature of its mannequins. Here's, here's the problem. That's probably how is does it have a price? No, there's no price. Okay, that's probably really expensive since it changes size. I bet mannequins are worth almost nothing, and you could just build them to any body size. You could. The French startup is already in touch with clients in the fashion industry and plans to develop models for men and children clothing as well. So for your obese children. Yes, and your obese husband. Okay. And the last one. Which is, again, just weird and kind of pointless. Like these, you think of CES and you hear a lot of good things, and there's a lot of goofballs, I think, at the mm-hmm. end of the day. At the front of Avatar Minds, CES booth was a display of several of its iPal robots, all singing and moving their arms in unison. These robots, with their brightly colored accents and friendly faces, are meant to function as teaching assistants in the classroom. Another job gone. Robots can have that one. Or as companions that can help with elder care. Okay. In one in one demo, an iPal robot sang the famous children's song Old MacDonald Had a Farm while moving its arms and head accordingly. The robot is available for developers in the US and a consumer product will be coming later this year. It doesn't really tell you anything about that. Furby's Furby? Was it Furby? Which one are you thinking of? Just the little furry pet that, that would... little thing. They would sing songs. Yeah, they'd sing. Yeah. So and right now, that doesn't sound like anything special. Throw the word robot and you're going somewhere, apparently. Yeah, at like four ninety nine. Didn't give a price either. So, the expensive end of life. I guess if you have an old relative who you don't think should be taking care of a live animal confuse them and get them a use that as a robotic robotic bird yeah if i had dementia probably would and and in like a violent fit of rage where i just destroy the things i think is going to kill me that's true would not be good but at least it's not a live animal that's true you kill it it just breaks into a million pieces and depending on the refund policy maybe you can get it replaced (laughs) you want to have a refund policy so no, that is very uninteresting. I would not be happy if I had to cover those products at CES. Could you imagine going, I get to cover it, going to CES. I get to cover it. I get to go. And then yeah. you're told by time, but you can't cover any of the fun stuff. It all has to be the weird stuff. I hear there's this great augmented reality toothbrush. You can't I, cover any of the fun stuff because MKBHD and a bunch of other major broadcasters are already already covering it. So Yes. The little guys. So... 
Yeah, I don't want anything on this list. No. And in fact, it seems like a lot of the major electronics manufacturers have moved away from perhaps launching things or, or announcing things at CES. And you have them putting on their own sort of expos. I know Canon and Nikon themselves, they usually just launch stuff themselves. They have a big enough platform where people are paying attention to them. They don't need CES. And if they wanted to, they could have their own conventions too. It's It, it kind of leaves a space for a lot of these weird companies to move in and just try to make a name for themselves because people do pay attention somewhat. It's true. Problem being... They di they didn't make a single sale with us. That article did not make me want to go to CES to cover these companies. Or there's enough weird people in the world that I think somebody would probably be interested in one of those products. The most interesting one, I think, just because of the price point, is if I had a cat and I was leaving the cat at home, yeah. I'd get the friggin' mouse. Makes sense. But I'm not gonna pay for a bed that. Rocks me wrong. to sleep. No. I'm not going to pay for a laundry folder that I have to stand and wait for it to fold. Especially if I have to hook up the clothing beforehand. Yeah, might as well just hang it on a hanger. Yeah. Then it's, you don't have to fold it, and it's already going to be nice and not crease when you go to put it on. So going back to a question that you asked me, mm -hmm. and I want to flip it because I'm curious too. Okay. Are the people you went to school with how many people are doing what they want to do? Do you keep it? Do you keep tabs on anybody? For whatever reason, the people that I stayed in contact with seem to be people that are going to be more successful than I am. I can see that. So, so Success a lot of them, is relative. Well, you may be successful in other in, in areas. the field of biology, for instance. Just because I know a lot of them, more so, what they did that I couldn't was make really good connections with certain professors or people that could could help them develop themselves in the field of biology and maybe. Maybe they'll get a master's degree or a PhD or something along those lines. But it, I think that was the biggest thing that I missed out on. I I would say that I, I enjoy the professor that I did my thesis project with, and I'd really like to work with him in the future if I could. I mean, there's certain promises of getting a, a paper published with things that I had found in, in my own study. But, it's, but out of all the people that were in my biology program that, that graduated, I would say probably quite a few of them are doing something that's at least somewhat relevant. Like, I, I didn't exactly study certain things to do with land surveying and, and all that, but just from the people that I was getting in contact with, specifically my professor for the thesis project, I learned a little bit about how there's the software out there to do 3D mapping and all these different things that are going on at the same time, People that are things that people are studying at the moment, which it, it sort of lets me branch off and, and pick something of my own that I'm interested in doing, which for me at the moment, Land surveying kind of seems like a thing that I want to study. It's, uh, yeah. I, I can't say that anybody is going to be a biologist for sure that I know of. Strictly put, a biology biologist. It's funny you said that. I would say that the whole making contact thing for almost any program, because same thing with, uh, with my program, they... Because it was divided TV, radio, film, the TV people actually had to go out and get a co-op. That was part of their job. Mm -hmm. And great thing about most co-ops, especially like post-secondary, if you're good and you, you do, get hired. you get hired. Yeah. Now, shot in the foot, a lot of them got hired and then fired when NHL got sold. Because they were broadcasting, huh? Okay. because they were were and they they lost their jobs 
But the film program, you could get a co-op or an internship, I guess would be the would be the the proper term. So you could get an internship. You didn't have to, but all these internships were unpaid. Mm-hmm. Most of them were in Toronto. You're living in Welland. You're a student. You're 21 years old. You, you have to find a way to get to Toronto. Oh, it's very, very hard. And then you still have to do most of your course. So then it, then it became a problem. So some people did make the contacts with people, and they were the ones who were most successful. I went to school with somebody who got fired from his internship. Yeah. That didn't go well. No. I can't imagine that would go well for the program or the person's future. I know, because you get the internship because they're like, yeah, we like Niagara College people. And then he ends up being snooty and he gets fired because he's telling the lighting guy he's lighting it wrong. Hmm. That's a great way to make a name for yourself. Oh, man. But What if the dude was right, though, and the lighting guy just had it wrong? You know what? There's a good chance that he was right. He knew yeah. his stuff, but he was just arrogant. Yeah. And that'll he, do it. Um... But no, it is the contacts. I even even something so small as being a TA at Niagara for film production. I wanted to do that when I was in university, so it it would be a pretty good job. It, it apparently paid quite well from what I heard about it. It it'd be interesting. I I think the biggest issue for a lot of people starting out is that you do need to go the intern unpaid internship route just because nobody wants to pay you for some reason for doing genuine work. Like, I, after, just as I was leaving university, the, I, there was this program launched. Um, I think it was some kind of government program. But basically what it said is that you can go get an internship with somebody that's relevant to your field. I guess it's decided upon by the people administering the money. But they will pay your salary up to, I think, $15,000 or something like that in in place of you getting paid by your employer. So you get employed, but they don't pay you anything. The government gives you the, your first $15,000. And if the company doesn't want to pay you after that time's up, you're gone. Huh. <laughs> so it, it's this weird, weird thing to try to get people hired as interns. Unrelated, but with the government stepping in, uh, we have a mutual friend keep the name off but okay i i think once i start talking you'll know who i'm talking about and yep. if anybody is watching this they know who i'm talking about he has employment issues yes i know who you're talking about <laughs> and he worked he went to a company uh that got him his last job and it turns out all these employment companies the ones that help you get hired i didn't know that not all of them were government run so he went to a employment company mm-hmm. who, like a talent agency, took a percentage off his paycheck for getting him the job. Now, that's it may sound crazy to you, but I the jobs that I always picked and, and gravitated towards when I was in high school were temp agency jobs. So that that's a huge issue, at least where we are in Canada. Pretty and then you you know, you work at this place for a while and the temp agency just takes a huge cut of your pay. You could be making quite a bit more than minimum wage. You know what? I guess maybe it was a temp agency. Yeah. I mean, if it's if it's similar, I just I I don't know. That's there might there might be a difference because if you're saying it's like a talent scouting thing, essentially where you're they're picking an employee for a specific position. Give the company name, but they had talent in the name. Okay. But he was not doing. It's not like he was acting or anything like that. It was labor, but they took a percentage off every paycheck. Okay. 
So I guess it might have been a temp agency. If it was, it was a, a labor job, job, more than likely. And temp, temp agencies are a little bit uh, crooked in the sense that an, an employer is going to screen, they're going to look at the person, they're going to look at a resume, they're going to look at all that stuff. I feel like when I've gone to temp agencies, they haven't looked at a single thing. They get me to come in for somewhat of an interview. It's more just to fill up paperwork that they have. And they say, these are, you got these three jobs. You can go work at the Honda plant. You can go work at you know this factory down the road, wherever wherever they have available. They don't give you the name of the place or anything. So you can't go to look it up on your own to try to get hired separately. And then, you know, they'd say, okay, you signed the contract, you're hired. This is where you go, go show up. And it's just this weird thing where they take a cut. They did, they don't care at all. We've got the most shady people you could think of coming in. I, while I worked at this one factory for about uh, three months during the summer, I would say we had about six people come in and just leave of their own accord or be fired. Because there's just no screening process in place at all with these temp agencies. Hmm. And it's it's this recurring problem where it, it's essentially just cutting everybody's wages down, I would say. And companies are unwilling to commit when they could just have a temp agency find work for, like, laborers for them. I guess it works. It is crooked. Um, when I was in school, there was an employment office in St. Catharines when they built the A&W that I worked at. I applied there, but I thought I was applying to A&W. I was actually sending my resume to the employment office and the week before the interview they had me come in and I thought it was for the interview. They said, come in, and it wasn't for A&W. They wanted to offer their employment services. So I was just about to graduate college. It was like final year. They said, let us help you with your resume. Okay. I, I mean, school, my resume is very different. It's not, it's a, it's a artistic resume. Mm -hmm. It's projects, film projects. I don't need your help. Yes, there's an employment part of the resume that will have where I've worked, but the majority of it is project-based. Yeah. So you guys can't help me. And then they're like, oh, well, can you pay for your uniform? Like, it's $40. Yes, I'll pay for my uniform. They wanted to help me pay for my uniform. Hmm. And then finally, they're like, okay, this is your meeting. So they had me go through everything. They weren't very happy that they couldn't help me in any way. Hmm. And then I went to the interview for A&W a week later. But I, I mean, they were pretty adamant about helping me make my resume. Because they would get a cut at that point? Or? I guess. But that was shady because they're like, oh, we have your resume. Yeah. Uh, for the A&W position. Like, yeah. I should have known. How? Where did you submit this resume? Did you do it online? or? Nope. Uh, that's the thing that was shady. Uh, when the A&W was being built, there was a banner on the on the metallic sign and it said apply at this email address. And that's why. I should have just applied directly to the A&W website. And there is somewhat of an advantage that these people who, I guess, have some affiliation with A&W screened you first and then that might bring an official air to it where if a and w thought if they knew that this other company thought you were good enough maybe they were a little bit less picky i guess i don't know uh it's it's just it was shady come in for the interview okay <laughs> and then it's not the interview yeah sounds it's like, like how can we like... help you get employed you could give me the job. You could give me the job. Yeah. Like you could. That would work. Isn't this the interview? No, no, no. This is this is screening. We're going to talk about your resume uh -huh. and stuff like that. So that was odd. But and then they followed up a year later, asking how everything was. I'm like I'm working. 
it was just before my back surgery so i'm mm-hmm. even going on back surgery then they're like oh well, do you need do you need help getting uh disability or workers comp or whatever wow. like i didn't hurt my back on the job yeah i'm going in for surgery so i am getting this 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 but it's all taken care of so they must deal with people that just can't deal with anything Yes, the process was slow, but it wasn't hard. But I guess some people just don't know how to fill out forms. I I wonder if that's more of a, an issue with young people as opposed to maybe just people that have... They're older, they've worked at the same job their whole life, and maybe the, the company went under or something like that. They just need to start over again. I don't really know who, what, who that kind of company is aimed towards, really. Maybe drop high school dropouts or something. I have no idea. All I know is, is the NW I worked at where I grew up, the owners of the restaurant interviewed us. They hired us. Mm -hmm. In the three years that I worked there before college, 97% of the people stayed there. Fast food restaurants have a high turnover rate. Yeah, that's pretty good. Right? Within the first three months at the NW in St. Catharines, we had lost 80% of the people. So... Having having a hand in a business is very important. You choose your people. I think the owners of the St. Catharines ones were being a little bit lazy, so I think they did try to hire somebody else out mm-hmm. to at least do a screening for people, which is okay because their English wasn't that great, so Maybe doing a bunch of interviews probably wasn't their forte. No. Huh. You, you told me that it changed hands at some point while you were doing it and yeah it just went from from pretty good apparently to to much worse no it was never good so when i got well, it acceptable i suppose hmm? I, I don't know you, you they weren't violating like business practices oh no they weren't but they just weren't they didn't have a proper hand there was no real management it's it's stupid to complain about it's just a fast food restaurant yeah but they were struggling, they were spending too much money, they were ordering food way too much, buns were going moldy, so their costs, like you just see money flying out the window. Mm-hmm. So they were having problems, head office was getting mad because they were not making money. I leave from my back surgery, I come back, new management, some of the old, some of the old managers are still there, and then it, it, it switched over and it was just cost cutting all around, including the Costco problem so it sounds to me like the the head office would have to i guess support a lot of the costs involved with with this business like i don't exactly know how aw runs their franchise actually aw speaking of aw they went really smart last year yeah they i don't like the way they marketed it okay but it was really smart they started advertising their millennial franchise system lower franchise costs lower cost to entry okay they help you. They get you fully but trained. They take a bigger cut. They do take a bigger mm-hmm. cut, but fran- from what I remember, regular franchise fees, quarter of a million dollars plus you need about half a million in liquid asset. Okay. You didn't need any liquid asset, but you needed one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars down. So there's a giant, like the cost to entry. It's a large barrier. Yeah. It's it is. But they've taken a lot of it off, and they were successful. They only had like 10 or 15 restaurants that they were running that trial in, but they all sold, and now you have a bunch of young entrepreneurs getting a chance to do... Would people come in as groups, perhaps, and try to you know get five people together and pool resources? That's what the, the 
owners of the the later owners of D&W and St. Catharines did. It was a big Indian started out as a African family, mm-hmm. if I'm correct, but then it just became this big Indian family who owns A&W's. Well, they did own A&W's in Niagara Falls, St. Catharines, and out west, like Alberta and Saskatchewan. Hmm. Um, which seems to be the way that goes. I think with the millennial franchise thing, you probably could get a few people together, but I don't, I don't know. Regular franchise, you can. I don't know if the millennial is just solely on one person. Yeah, that would be a, a lot to ask, especially of a young person. I didn't look into it because I didn't ever want to... Own a fa- franchise? Thought about it. For a while, I thought I could do it, but... It's... It's restricted to get fatter. No. And you would want to be in the position to have something that is a self-replicating business model that you could yourself franchise out to other people. That's obviously the better way to do it, and that's why people have franchises. The the thing with, like, fast food franchises, the money seems to be in multiple franchises. Mm. The owners from where I grew up, they have about a dozen between the two of them now, and most Tim Hortons franchisees have their entire area. The uh, the Welland Tim Hortons are all owned by one family. The Tilsonburg Tim Hortons are all owned by one family. There's more than one Tim Hortons in Tilsonburg? Yes. Really? And they're all very... <laughs> Fun fact. The owner of the Tim Hortons, I believe she has died, but back when my family still had a farm, their farm was very close to my grand mother's farm and they had to sell they had to sell it to get all the money they could to put their money in tim hortons and it wasn't she did the, the wife of the husband was so worried she's like we put all our money it's hmm. not working out we're so nervous and this is like back in the late 60s yeah it worked out yeah it worked out very well <laughs> there's a large upturn in, i can't remember the exact story but i know that the business changed hands at some point early on and things got really good from there. Well, it went like it, it became less family owned and more corporate. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of boomed from there. But franchise model's good. It's just a lot of the big franchises are really expensive, as we've heard with the labor laws now with the minimum wage thing, franchisees. Uh, like with Tim Hortons, the whole cutting of everything. Certain benefits and... And it's hard not to side with the franchisees. In the case that we're talking about, they were family of Tim Hortons. Mm-hmm. Tim Horton. So the, I don't know if they got like special franchise like uh, royalties or whatnot. Perhaps. But most franchises are only like 10 years. You pay to operate that place for 10 years. What happens once the 10 years are up? You can renew or new management. You don't own the land. You don't own the building. That's the tough part. So in that 10 years, you need to make anything you can. I'm kind of curious how that would work in the case of renovations. Because occasionally I've been to Tim Hortons that are under renovation and they got the the trailer set up and they serve out of there. But in that process, does someone someone from a head office just come to you like, hey, we're coming to renovate your place from this date to this date, you're working in the trailer outside. Like, it's, 
It's very forceful, I, I would imagine. From what I understand, it is head office mandated. Mm-hmm. Whenever fast food or quick service restaurants get new things, like when... Um, when McDonald's got the self-serve kiosks and they got that special like build your own burger on yep. the kiosk and they had to implement extra like extra kitchen kitchen um, supplies in the back that was mandated the franchisees didn't get a say hmm. they had to and they had to pay you have to pay to replace the, yourself with a machine yep yeah, you you have to pay what the head office says you have to pay Mm -hmm. and you don't get a choice in that uh machinery i know it is so yes they had to cut benefits but they i mean most franchisees are only in it guaranteed for a set amount of time so they have to make their margins too and it's not a high margin business as it's been said they don't get to control the pricing on anything it's interesting in in that regard too because a lot of the choices that the head office would make would cut costs and make things a bit cheaper for everybody. But there's certain instances, like I remember when I was a little kid, there was a Tim Hortons in my hometown, Bradford, where there was, the owner had decided to bake certain things of his own accord that Tim Hortons did not <laughs> sell. And they were amazing. He made he made his own type of eclairs and certain donuts. Like now that. That, that was 20 years ago, potentially. Things, things have changed a lot yeah, since then. Yeah, but it, it's strange because... I don't know if he was incurring more costs on his own behalf or if, if it was somewhat cheaper for him to do this himself. It's like but a it money laundering scheme. Definitely good from the customer's perspective. And and I remember there was a day where the, he just had to stop because corporate probably came down and said, you can't do that. Yeah, that's that's the, the McDonald's story. When McDonald's, when Ray Kroc first got his, like, first started franchising and he let his friends franchise the restaurants they started doing things their own way so the franchise system is based on a tightly integrated you can go to the mcdonald's in toronto and get the same burger as you Mm -hmm. can get in niagara falls one he kind of put a stop on it when one restaurant started selling corn on the cob like he's like you can't you have to follow like no fried chicken it has to be this 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 so for that, yeah, it sounds like the exact same thing. It's great that he wanted to sell his own goods, but he should open up his own bakery. But just think think about it. If franchisees had the capability of choosing like their prices slightly, think of how many cups of coffee Tim Hortons sell per day. Yeah. Right? What if you added a penny to each cup? I realize now it's negligible. What if you added three cents to each cup? Okay. Rounded up to five cents. Sure. A lot on a, on a yearly basis. Now, would people avoid that specific Tim Hortons because their price got? Would it be like a gas station if where you, you own have, every you know, Tim Hortons in Welland? And is that going into the monopoly route? Even though it's not a company, but it's a set of franchises, would that be? I, I don't know. I mean, if if you owned if you owned every coffee shop in Welland, sure. not necessarily Tim Hortons, and you're like, we want to raise our prices five but cents. If you own every grocery store in a town, you can't just make a bottle of water cost fifty dollars. Like, no, it's... that's true, but that's a giant jump. What's five cents? Okay, fine. It's still price gouging. Even a penny, if people are paying debit, which most people do nowadays, anyways, that would still add a lot more to your bottom line if you're selling. I mean, if you're selling 300 cups of coffee a day, that's 30 extra. Did, 
Did they rig all their prices so that way now when you round up to the nearest five cents, it's probably in their favor? I'm sure most businesses have over the course of their multiple price jumps. I'm sure they... (laughs) I'm sure that anybody who's managing like business optimization would have a heyday with that. Like, hey, look at this thing that just boosts our profits like crazy. Well, exactly. If you you can choose to make it a dollar fifty three versus a dollar fifty two you gain two cents on every sale mm-hmm. so it, it I think it comes down to what the price before tax is because that's the price that you advertise that's the price that has to look good so if you can get away with selling a donut for a dollar yeah okay that's good it's a dollar thirteen people pay a dollar fifteen if you can but if you have to make it be a dollar one, like one dollar and one cent to get, it's not going to look as good no, on a billboard. No, There's people that have degrees and, and PhDs on this topic of marketing things and consumer psychology. And I'd probably like to start reading some of those types of articles because I think I'd find them really interesting. I know there's like certain evolutionary psycho- like psychology elements. There's psychology, and when you go to a place that has weird pricing, sometimes it stands out. out. The first year we did wedding stuff, all of our pricing, we advertised it as no markup, just what we need to get by because we were starting out. Some of the prices were really weird, like $924, like just really weird pricing. And people were like, why? Like, why not? Like nine hundred and twenty nine ninety nine, right? And I said it's just because there's there's no there's no wedding tax, there's no unhealthy markup, but people notice it. They wouldn't have said anything if it was not if it was one hundred nineteen ninety nine or whatever, but it, because it was one hundred and twenty three seventy six. And then and then you, it it looks attractive. And plus, I I guess it's not a universal thing, but of course in Canada we pay tax after the listed price. So people have to include it with it, which would change the ballgame entirely. It's almost rant-worthy about how many people I hear still call in asking if they have to pay tax on their photography services. (laughs) Happened again. I'm dealing with a client. It's a small wedding, and every year... Actually, every year for the past... Since I started, I've tried to do one wedding job by myself, mostly photo, because just so that way I can keep my own personal skills up. And every year there seems to be one client who's just shy of the budget that I would consider acceptable. Mm-hmm. But there's something interesting about the wedding. They're getting married in a barn. They want to do, they want to do photos at um, the the that pavilion in Niagara Falls. I forget what it's called now. Oh no. Um, Although we've done, done quite a few of them in barns now, I suppose. Yeah. So I'll say yes. And then this woman, she's getting married at Club Roma. Yeah. I really like that place. It's close. Venue. She only needs, like, she doesn't need a full day. And she was looking to hit a price of X. I said, I can't do X. Let's meet in the middle. I took down an equal amount of price. And I said, let's meet halfway there. She's like, well, my father's paying for it. So I'll have to, I'll have to ask him. She came back yeah. and I made sure I said it is plus tax. So we're talking about tax of about $83. Yeah. 13%, 83 bucks. It's nothing really. It is something, but to argue over $83, 
whatever, and they haven't made up their mind. She's like, if it was this, if it was that number straight, was, that's fine. So she's arguing over the eighty-three dollars. But what I don't understand mm -hmm. is they probably didn't argue with the venue. No, it, it, but that's the thing. That's why it's rant worthy. It's just this unique thing where they're like, oh. You're you do photography and, and video. All throughout baby photos. It's not a, it's not a we, real job. Do we have to do we have to pay the tax? <laughs> yes, we're a tax paying business. It's what you do, mm -hmm. and it is almost worth putting the tax into the price. But then you start to look sketchy. Yes, because then people then, compare them and they don't understand. They're not going to read the fine print. That why says not? Taxes included. Taxes included. So then you're thirteen percent higher. Arguably a little bit more because if you add the tax, then you're going to add on. An extra, an extra amount just so the price looks good. Yeah. So if it's nine hundred and thirty-two with tax, you're gonna make it nine hundred and forty-nine ninety-nine, and then there's the extra twenty bucks right there, and mm -hmm. whatnot. So it's weird. I I wonder how many other businesses get the same kind of thing. Like I know my father cleans windows. He's a, has had his own business for I guess probably most I, of his I life guarantee at this point. But service. Business service business, yeah, all the time. Uh, he, he does get it occasionally, and I'm sure my dad's car detailing place probably asked all the time, Do we need to pay the tax? I feel like if you have a if you had like a, a storefront or something like that, it would make it that much more official, or at least for them not to, to think that they could ask such a thing. I've had people come into BD's asking if they have to. What really yeah. now? There are people of a certain. <laughs> But and I get it. There's a there's a cultural difference. So you go you go and you ask if you have to pay the tax, but at this point you should know that you have to. So it's it, it's everywhere, but that's like that's like a one one in ten months of working there, but photography, no. More often than not do we have to pay the tax. In fact, everybody at some point, either says, can you do a little bit better on the pricing or do we have to pay the tax? And I used to try to do a little better on the pricing and now it's no. And yes, you have to pay the tax. For people who want minimal services, it's <clears throat> if it goes on for like a week or something, but they're still struggling with the price, it might almost be worth it just to scale down. You say, okay, well, if you can't, if, if $80 is making the difference, why don't I just put in an hour less of work and yeah. you know split it there or something so that they understand they're getting less of a service for that money and it, it, maybe they might second you know have a second thought later and say, hey, we'll, we'll pay it all because we think it's important to get that last hour of, I don't know, you know, the reception or whatever. It all depends on what they consider valuable and who's paying for the wedding. In this case, the bride's father's paying for the wedding. He had a budget where I told him, like, you're on, like, the complete. Uh-oh. Mirror fell? Cards full. Uh -huh. Well, I think that's a natural point nope. to maybe end this podcast. That was, yeah. And the curtain has fallen. That not was the... long. And I think that we can probably go out for, like, an a burger or something, because I'm kind of hungry after talking about all of this stuff. Yeah. Um this was fun i like it i think it's a little rough it was definitely a lot more freestyle than i thought it would be <laughs> didn't follow my notes but it doesn't matter because i think we're decent conversationalists i had so. some fun I, I know things that i can improve on and i think we'll see how that goes and our audience will see too yeah all 12 of you and that's yeah. being ambitious 
Yeah. Have a good night. Yeah. Goodbye.